This is a HeadGum Podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Andrew, do you ever know what you're supposed to do, but your brain keeps getting in the way? It's a, often, yeah. When I, <laughs> That's one of the problems I have. Like you move to a small town for a new job to get away from your loser boyfriend, but you wind up like still thinking about him and getting hung up on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have to like resort to befriending a spider lady to like really mm-hmm. figure out what's going on with you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure. I mean, this will all make sense when you listen to the rest of this episode. So mm-hmm. if that doesn't make any sense, uh, therapy can also help you. You don't have to befriend a spider lady. Therapy can help you make sense of all kinds of things, is yes. what Craig's trying to say. It can help you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. I think therapy is a great tool for carving out time to really take stock of what might be holding you back or what is keeping your brain on when you need it to turn off. Um, And I think you should maybe give it a try. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you want to switch, you can do it at any time for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Overdue. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And the voice I'm using now is different from the voice you'll hear soon. Yeah, that's scary. That's scary. You it's know? so that's, scary. That's, that's one of the many scary things about this episode of Overdue and this month of Overdue. Because we've come back for our annual Spooktober mm-hmm. Spooktacular. That's the sound of Ooh. a zombie clearing his throat. Mm. <laughs> And uh, we're going to be back. We're back with another month of spooky books, just like always. It's true. Uh, Coming up this week, the episode that you downloaded is another uh, collab with Natasha from Unspoiled. You can find out more of her stuff at unspoiledpodcast.com. She's been on the show before. Good friend of the show. And we're going to talk about Cackle by Rachel Harrison. We have fun with this one. It was a fun book. It was was a fun read, fun chat. I believe we did cuss, so... Just like know that. Mm-hmm. I think you, well, you and Natasha cuss. I'm, I think that I still feel like I'm swearing in front of my parents when I when I try to swear on our podcast. Once, even if even if the the pickle jar has been opened and yeah. all the cusses have come out, I still have trouble with it. For, and I apologize. For me, it's it's a little bit of like, well, if my guest wants to take their shoes off, I guess I'll take my shoes off. Yes, I know. Yes, yes. Um, I'm glad. Yeah, we we have two approaches, and I think that that has served us well for the throughout the life of the show. For the years, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kicking off Spooktober, as Andrew said, our annual celebration of any possible thing that could be spooky, uh, like <laughs> like witches in uh, Cackle by Rachel Harrison. But we have a bunch mm-hmm. of other books coming up. Let me tell you about them next week: The Island of Doctor Moreau by H.G. Wells. After that, The Daughter of Dr. Moreau by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. 
I did mention this to our friend Christina and she was like, oh, you're reading fan fiction. And I was like, well, it's, it's been, it was published and somebody got paid money for it. Yeah. So it feels like, but it, yeah, that's bad. That's basically right. Uh, after that moon of the, we did not find another generation of Moreau to read. So after no, that, we are the, doing the grandson of Dr. Moreau. Uh, moon I'm trying of, to take them apart and put the people and the animals back to get back to the way they were. <laughs> uh, moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgishig Rice will follow that. Uh, and then our patron's choice for the month, the novel of The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty uh, will be our final regular episode of the month. We have a bonus episode called A Night in the Lonesome October by Roger Zelazny. Uh, I realize now that that's one of Neil Gaiman's guys. Um, yeah, I think he dedicated the last uh, like a big portion of Sandman to him. One of Gaiman's boys. Yeah, so that's cool. That's also his charity. <laughs> yeah, that would Gaiman's be a good boys. name for it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the schedule for the month. We hope that you enjoy it and that it's not too scary, or that it is too scary, but that you enjoy it nevertheless. Yeah. Whatever your preference is. Enjoy this episode. There are sp- some spiders. Not as There's spiders. As I recall, not as many in our conversation as there are in the book, but still. The spiders are involved, yes. Yep. How do you guys, uh, how do you feel about spiders? Listen, <laughs> we should talk about that up front because some people do not like spiders. It's true, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't love spiders, but I recognize their role as like a utility player in the in the <laughs> the food chain, like the mm-hmm. the wider ecosystem. And I I have come to an uneasy truce with the spiders <laughs> mostly. I'm actually kind of a fan, not to say that I'm like delighted when I see you one like in my house. You like their early work. You know, like you disco- <laughs> you were listening to I spiders. I like spiders <laughs> before it was cool to like spiders. Yeah. yeah. Mhm. I hate insects mostly, and so I see us as being on the same side. It's just its presence is probably doing me many favors that I don't know about. It's preventing Mm -hmm. me from running into a lot more insects than I would be otherwise, especially outside living in Texas. We get moths that are the size of like hummingbirds oh, yeah. and they freak me out. So I have this like terror <laughs> of them getting caught in my hair, which has actually happened. And once they flew into my lips and just barely my <laughs> mouth closed in time. <laughs> precisely. So for me, I'll, I'll take a spider any day. Like, yeah, we're so, all right. Me and spiders yeah. and possums also. Possums, possums. possums yeah, are cool. I don't, I just had to get rid of a bunch of groundhogs out of my yard, and I'll say possums don't bother me that much. Possums, they mostly keep to their own devices and do their stuff at night, and we don't. We just don't cross paths that much. What I learned when there was a possum, we're going to talk about Cackle by Rachel Harrison and all the spiders that are in that book in just a second. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I will say, I think it was 2020, we had a possum that would occasionally, sh- that like spent like four or five days showing up in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And it would always sit on the same fence post at like 11 Aww. p.m. He was like Norm, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then he would move, and then he moved on. And we read about like apparently, like especially like in the city, like possums will just like roll up, you know, kind of eat what's there for a while, and then they just go on. They're not like trying to live in a spot for a long time. They're renters. Yeah. They're not trying to man. Own. 
yeah. the, the people at Critter Control, and I can vouch for them, at least in, in my zip In code. your hog zone, so, yeah. <laughs> in my hog zone, yes, exactly. Uh, they were like, yeah, we have to drive the groundhogs 15 or 20 miles away from here so they can't find their way back. <laughs> Wow. Groundhogs really want to live at your house if they live in your house. <laughs> they have like a way better sense of direction than me. You could drop me three yeah. blocks from where I live and I'd probably be like, Ooh. oh, no, well, I guess this is just my <laughs> life now. OK, exactly. I wonder if that means that's like how com- how far they're willing to just like roam, you know, like because they I guess they might have good enough wayfinding to just be like, oh, yeah, Maybe. I've smelled that before. Mm-hmm. They've got a 15 mile commute. And they've yeah. gotten to know the area. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's like a 15 minute city. <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about this book uh, that is a cozy horror novel or a spooky women's fiction novel <laughs> or a tale of friendship and spiders. There are a lot of yeah. spiders a in this book. A tale of friendship I, and spiders is a real good title. I, we should have gone with that. Well, George R.R. R. Martin <laughs> is not writing anything new these days. Um <laughs> Yeah. Don't get me started on that. The, just <laughs> true trigger warning up top. There are so many spiders in this book that mm-hmm. we are going to have to talk about many of them. Mm-hmm. And if that is a thing for you, just pretend we're saying a different word yeah. uh, or we'll see you next time. Like, I tr- I know I mean, it's this, bad this, for people. To be, honest, to be fair, this is mostly a note for our, uh, <laughs> our helper, Megan, who listens to all the episodes and does a bunch of social media and stuff. Yes. Who really hates spiders and is still going to have to do all that stuff for this episode. <laughs> Sorry, Megan. Well, Megan, we didn't just know uh, about for the spiders. your information, one of the spiders <laughs> does wear a tiny like tuxedo and top hat, and like a necktie. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, adorable question. Yeah, mark? there's a real like Michigan J Frog spider in this yeah. in this book. Toward the, toward the end. <laughs> so, Natasha, you're the one who brought this book to us. Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? I just like I go through a lot of audiobooks. For somebody who does podcasting, I don't really listen to many. You guys mm-hmm. and like one other show are the ones that I tend to listen to. Mm-hmm. And that other one is Snapped Women Who Kill. So, Ooh. you know, real weird <laughs> sort of playlist I've got going on. Great company. <laughs> but I uh I really go through audiobooks so fast and it's something that I keep an eye out for when people recommend a book and especially mention the narrator being pretty decent. Mm-hmm. And um, I listened to this just on my own time and I just thought it was kind of delightful and f- like fun in a really lighthearted way. It's funny to me that it's at all called like a thriller or horror mm-hmm. because it really isn't to nope. me. There's some parts that are vaguely spooky, but it's mild. And uh, I will say on the reread, it's a little frustrating because our main character really is so annoying for a very long time. <laughs> so like, I kind of forgot about that part and focused on how satisfying the conclusion mm-hmm. is. And interesting. I stand by that, but I also have to say probably what frustrates me so much about her is how familiar she feels. Like sure. there are very shades of me in her <laughs> that I don't like to look at. So mm-hmm. that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's it's always the way when you have somebody who like goes through a real change and they end up somewhere that's like much more satisfying. Going back and reading when they were pitiful and sad is always mm-hmm. kind of hard. Mm-hmm. So, but that's yeah, just had, me. That's why I don't I read my live much, journal. <laughs> 
from high school. I think I delete. I think I deleted. I think my I deleted my. I think I deleted mine. You guys have got me searching in this Google's for your live journals. I hope you're ready. About to get some weird I, comment alert emails. Oh no! <laughs> I had pretty much exactly the same reaction to the protagonist, and the ending did salvage her a lot for me because there's. I always have trouble when somebody is like kind of annoying or frustrating or to pick a a word with a lot of baggage unlikable because sometimes you can tell that they're supposed to be that way and it's serving a narrative purpose and sometimes it it's not clear whether the author like likes this person and thinks that they're annoying or thinks that they're really awesome (laughs) but but by the end it becomes you know I, i think the the narrative does come around to yeah you're you're kind of supposed to find her annoying or frustrating because she's still finding herself and it does like pay off but it is still you still have to read like what 85 80 percent of the book yeah before you really get to her like confronting that frustrating stuff about herself and like acknowledging it and changing it so it is it is a long walk you do get somewhere eventually but it's a long walk Yeah, yeah for sure uh harrison's not someone that i had ever heard of before we embarked on this adventure this is her second novel mm-hmm. she yeah. is written Came out in 2021 2021 in in october did it release in october yeah. that was a smart yeah, idea in october oh good for her um yes her, and her newest one is called black sheep it's as as we record this is not out yet but as you're listening to it it will have come out like a month ago it's sure. coming out this month in september her nice. first novel uh published in 2020 the return uh was nominated for a bram stoker award for superior achievement in a first novel um, and then now I want to read it. There's and th- that one it was as I was like kind of reading different reviews of this and just getting info on her work. People were praising that one. Uh, there's such sharp teeth, which comes after Cackle. There's a short story collection called Bad Dolls that uh, was reviewed briefly, like blurbed in the Times by Daniel Trasoni, who said. Rachel Harrison's feminist horror novels are some of the most original and entertaining out there, and her collection of stories, Bad Dolls, is right up there with her longer works, filled with women on the cusp of change, a bad breakup, sexual discovery, and extreme diet. They explore the dark side of being female in the 21st century. Again, I feel like the, whatever work she's done in her other novels that is way more horror than this one, (laughs) creates some, like, odd expectations for this book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that i'm glad i didn't really have going in same Mm -hmm. i just heard about and then it wasn't until after that i saw it was categorized under horror in some places and i was genuinely startled um so yeah i i really like the thing about this book that gets to me is how i can understand who she is so much the main character and be so frustrated Mm -hmm. with her but also see myself in the other like larger than life characters the other women that she runs into and it's so easy to try and pretend you don't have any of annie in you at all and that you're Mm -hmm. just these like cool women but if you like (laughs) look at your actual i think I'm really curious, actually, as men, what your experience is regarding your identity and romantic relationships. Final. First, thank you finally for oh asking my for the God, male perspective. <laughs> no one would ever ask us. It's just a sort of thing because, like, honestly, you laugh, but like, no one men talks about and, it. Yeah. And their expectations of romantic relationships, it's often treated as kind of a joke because the worst of you want a maid they can fuck. 
like the yes. worst of you. Mm-hmm. And those sad, terrible men get very much attention, which is a shame. But then there are reasonable men out there who I don't feel like y'all talk much about your feelings regarding this sort of thing and what you mm-hmm. were raised, like how what kind of expectations were around you from your family and from your friends? That is a great yeah, I question. Mean, I, as a, like an adolescent into even like my twenties, I always had a really, I had, I had a tough time talking with my parents about it because the tone when I was younger and I was ever in the presence of like a girl or something was always like a light teasing sort of thing. Like, Ooh, Andrew has a girlfriend. And mm. it made me like absolutely <laughs> like mortified to actually bring that to, to any of them. And it's so, it's a thing that I can tell that I'm still like processing in some ways when I'm like talking to them and trying to tell them about life events. <laughs> um, so that's like, that's a little younger than, than the character in this, in this book. Craig, did, did you have, you want to go yeah, now? And my, then we'll keep talking. <laughs> like I, Hmm. What do I want to say about this? This is a good question. So yeah, it's great. Before we started recording Natasha, I was, I mentioned briefly, like I grew up mostly with just my mom and two older sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, especially as I became, you know, when you hit like mid teens and you're like, I think I know who the person I am is. And you're like, Mm -hmm. when you look back in your memory, the 13 or 14 year old you is still basically the you you are now. And that's just, (laughs) it's a, it's a lie, but it's a trick your brain plays. Um, I've basically been that person for 20 years, no comment, whatever. Um, (laughs) but like, I don't have a, like, I don't have a sense of what a, like a, a male heterosexual. I only have the negative of like, well, I don't do that. And I'm <laughs> not going to be that person. I and will say the archetype that completely ruined like young Andrew at, at doing this is the one where it's like, okay, if you like someone and they just want to be friends with you, but you still really like them. If you just be friends with them hard I enough and you be there all the time yep. and you do everything they want, eventually they'll turn around one day and mm-hmm. realize that they love you and have loved you all along. Yep. And you'll mm-hmm. finally get what you're, what you're looking for. I had some, I had some very good female friends in high school who were very patient with me. And that's, and like, that's they were wonderful. Wow, that was one yeah. sentence, but I really got a picture. I uh-huh. know exactly what was going on. You know, okay, and yep. then kind of moving into like actually being an, an adult, I feel like whatever version of the, I became as a partner is actually way more informed by my mom in terms of like being a caretaker, and you know, because my mom mm-hmm. cared for my grandmother while she was living with us until she passed away while I was a kid, and so like. That is what an adult in the house does in, in, in or any sort of relationship, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. not uh, it is. It does not map to like the friendly but goofy dads on sitcom television. It does not map <laughs> to like an easy male figure in my life that I just didn't have. Um, so it, to your like where this question comes from relative to this book, it's interesting to read a character who is approaching 30 at the beginning, or she's just turning 30 at the beginning of the book. And she's like, I've been in this relationship through my entire twenties. And like, I don't know what my adult persona is. Cause I'm realizing that I don't think I had one. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, yeah, I'm not, that's not an alien experience to me. Cause like I mm-hmm. didn't, there's a lot of things in my life that didn't really settle until my late twenties, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's like for a lot of us, we use relationships as a way to explore who we are, hopefully, but it Mm -hmm. is really easy to fall into the trap of making that who you are. Yeah. And whoever you're with, you take on the personality of the, the, like their interests become your interests. Mm -hmm. And I have a sort of, so like so many women, I was really. It was embossed upon my brain that having a romantic relationship was the ultimate goal, Mm -hmm. getting married, having kids, the ultimate goal, but that along the way, you should aim to ensnare the hearts of as many men as possible (laughs) to prove your like triumph and that anyone who wound up with you was like really achieving something because they Mm -hmm. were choosing a woman who had options Mm -hmm. and I really, really based so much of who I was around the validation that I got from men. Mm. And there was a piece of advice that I saw circulating on social media a while back. It was like a screenshot from a Tumblr post. And a woman was saying, a lot of people ask me what advice I would give to young women. And people laugh when I say this, but I'm not kidding. Stop caring about men. Stop investing your time in relationships. Stop worrying about their opinion of you. Do what you want, what you like, and do not make any space for them right now because it is such a waste of time looking Mm -hmm. back at all like, and as much as that feels extreme, there's a part of me that really does look at my behavior and my priorities and realizes how many times I could have explored things I was interested in and didn't because the guy that I was with wasn't interested or that would require mm-hmm. me to move somewhere that they didn't want to move. Meanwhile, I uprooted my life in, in Connecticut and moved to Philadelphia for my mm-hmm. husband at the time. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. And there are a lot of things like that where women are simply expected to make changes to our lives in favor of what the man wants and it's so embedded that it's like I don't even think of it Mm -hmm. until I look back with that kind of lens on and suddenly I can discover it everywhere in so many of the choices that I made and that's not to say that there wasn't good that came out of that and I didn't learn things but it is such a shame how much the prism of what will men think what do men like was the first like you know lens that i looked through anytime i did anything even down mm -hmm. to like what lipstick i chose for the day things like that and you're and you're Mm -hmm. talking about this thing also happening at a you know for women at a younger age when like if you're also dating men of a similar age like we are not ready to Mm -hmm. treat any of this seriously we do not have the skill set most of us have not fully developed. We have not emerged from our pupa state. Like we are <laughs> just messes, mm-hmm. way more than than anyone is like commonly saying. You know, like um, among men, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, just it's. Don't worry about us. We're not ready for <laughs> you know? it. Yeah, well, I, I think the thing the thing that I valued the most, I think about me and Suzanne's relationship is like 
we are both really we, we have a lot of shared interests. I think our tastes in a lot of things are the same, which creates just a lot of overlap, like naturally. Just mm-hmm. thinking about like movies or TV shows or even just like decorating decisions, like it's stuff that we are we are pretty. It's pretty easy to come Sh- to a consensus. Shared on. aesthetic values goes a long way. Yep. It yeah, it truly does. But um, but in those areas where we don't have shared interests, like we are very good at like creating space for the other person to go off and do other stuff. Like I don't have to go see musicals very often and she doesn't need to be any more interested in like video games than she has to. <laughs> like it's, it, it works well. And I think when you're, when you are younger, both your hormones and like all of pop culture are telling you like when you are in love, you need to be obsessed with this person all the time. You can yeah. never, ever want to want to be apart. Like you, you, when you are apart, you have to be pining for each other all the time. Like just like your young brain and heart are not equipped to create the, the distance for you both to, to exist as individual people. And I think that makes a lot of stuff harder too. <laughs> like the yeah. the thing with Annie in this book that she's having so much trouble with is for so many years, she was kind of defined by her relationship with this guy who dumps her mm-hmm. and she, it takes her a while to kind of figure out who she is like independently of, of him and like move past him. And that's most of what the journey of the, of the book is. Yeah. And yeah. That, that part resonated with me, I think. Yeah, the book starts with her out on the town for her birthday. And I say out on the town in a way that makes it sound fun, but Annie does not make fun. And <laughs> she is with a coworker because she's a teacher who is a bright, fun, lively person. And even Annie herself recognizes by the end of the night, this is somebody that she could have had a really great friendship with. But she invested all her time in Sam and just didn't go out when she was invited to like Margarita Tuesday. She was talking about later on because yeah, she the new talks school about she the moves invites. to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She, she expects the same sort of camaraderie and takes those invites for granted, but she admits she never actually went to those events. It was really mm-hmm. rare. And again, a thing that I would do, I often would sort of look back and be like, I had a really hard time making friends and I'm like realizing as I get older, I didn't value my friendships very much. I valued my romantic relationships above friendships most of the time. And I put more energy into those and it, it it shook out the way that it shook out. And, you know, you get what you put in a lot of the time, not always, but her momentary kind of what could have been with this woman is the beginning of what you want to be like a quicker realization. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, yes. she's like on the it's- track and it just takes a little longer than you feel like it really should. <laughs> yeah. The book really takes its, I mean, it really waits until the very end of the book for her mm-hmm. to like really even attempt an aha moment. And I think that I was, I did not share the same like base level frustration with her as I was reading it but that's just my probably me just being like brain brain take in the book and then we'll think about it yeah you're you're, you are way slower to be like man this character is really really grinding my gears than I am like I'll I'll come into slack and be like okay man this is how far I am in the book 
And this is how I feel about the character right now. And I just need to like mention it for a sec so I yep. can map my my journey. And I am just but like, yeah, we've, well, we've recorded episodes, including recently, yep. where like Craig realized that he didn't like the book like as we were talking about. I have had that happen too. I am very yeah. opinionated pretty quickly, but sometimes it takes a while for all those opinions to crystallize into a unified, oh, I didn't like this. Mm-hmm. I'll think it's like a lot of disparate little, well, this could be improved and that wasn't so great. And then once I like lay it all out, I'm like, oh, that's mostly in the cons column. Yeah, yeah. this I, I definitely I, I have I have liked a book more through talking about it. It's rare that I don't already know that I don't like something sure. that I don't like coming into. <laughs> the, the and yeah, I'm probably almost exactly the opposite. I, I'm usually mm-hmm. starting at a place where it's like, yeah, that's the book, and then if and then if I can't rebuild what I thought was a positive experience talking through it, well, then I get sad. Craig, spiders weave webs, but you know who else can weave webs is people. Yeah, digital architects. Yeah, they can weave worldwide webs, and that's why this week's episode of Overdue is brought to you by Squarespace. Yeah, that's why. They're a website. Get that website. They they are the internet's spiders. They help people spin their own webs we, we across, all, really all took, across the information superhighway. We all really took the whole web metaphor. We took that mm-hmm. for granted really quick, huh? Yeah. We've mm-hmm. just been saying website for decades, and I never think about webs as much as I have right now. Yeah, I mean, browsers take out the www now, and I think that does a disservice to the the web metaphor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but tell me about Squarespace. Uh, anyways, yeah, Squarespace, they give you beautiful drag and drop tools and 24-7 award-winning customer support and a big old box of other tools that help you make a website look and feel and do great. Yeah. <laughs> Here's some things that we like about Squarespace. Craig, I don't know if spiders like water, but we do because of Squarespace's fluid engine. So wet. Next generation. <laughs> This thing's going to make your website all kinds of wet. It's a next generation website design system from Squarespace. It's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity, Craig. Unbreakable. Start with the best like in class Like a strong website. spider's web. Like a strong spider's web. It's literally unbreakable. Start with the best in class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop or mobile. You got a little spider on your phone. Blogging tools. Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. Categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. And you can also use insights to grow your business. Learn where your site visits and sales are coming from with website analytics. Analyze which channels are most effective. Improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. This all sounds great to me. Does it sound great to you? It sounds great to me, and I'm not right. even a web spider. You should crawl, crawl. The spiders crawl. They crawl over to squarespace.com. Open up your web browser and crawl over there for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Craig, book bands are nothing new. They've been a part of America's narrative for about as long as our country has existed. But just in the first half of this year, nearly 2,000 unique titles were challenged. That's the highest number in over 20 years. That's not great. No. Uh, That's why the folks at Brooklyn Public Library are launching a new podcast series called Borrowed and Banned. They want to help you understand how and why books are being removed from library shelves across the country and what you can do about it. 
Over seven episodes, they'll talk to the students, teachers, and librarians on the front lines and the writers whose books have become political battlegrounds. Their first episode drops on September 28th. You can subscribe to Borrowed and Band wherever you find podcasts. She, Annie, so we're like, okay, we're talking about this book. We're talking about Cackle by Rachel Harrison, right? She is a teacher, as you said. She is going to change jobs. She's turning 30. She's very sad to be turning 30 because she also just broke up with Sam or Sam broke up with her. We're going to find out more about that. And I just was like, yeah, she's a mess. She's a mess. And she's going to. This is a real like solar return for those of you who are into astrology right around 30. That's the time (laughs) where shit starts to hit the fan a little bit and you step back from your life and look at it and go, is this it? Really? That? (laughs) I don't know about this. I got divorced at 30 and moved to Texas and changed everything about my life. And, uh, you know, just saying that I did jump directly from that marriage into the relationship with my now husband, Owen, and this is where I identify with Annie. And looking back, I probably should have taken some time to establish myself. Mm. But I, there's also let's be real the economic aspect of trying to live on your that own income, on your is, and that is mentioned yeah. in this book right is like mm-hmm. one of the things she mentions is that like she cannot live in manhattan or they're or they're yeah. not in like brooklyn they're in new york they're in new like york new york, new york city uh, new york city uh, yeah, like it, it and it's it doesn't say like if she's actually talking about like Jersey City no, or, or Hoboken, like, yeah. some kind of mitigating mitigating um, factor. But yeah, but she can't afford to live there on her own on her teacher's salary, mm-hmm. and Sam's going to keep the apartment that they live in because he does what, right. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, she, and that's why she needs to move up to like Haunted Stars Hollow to start a new life. <laughs> yeah, what is it called? It's not Aster. Rowan, yeah, Rowan. Rowan cuz Aster is where she winds up teaching. Um, yeah, she... that's the like big box town next to Rowan. Rowan's yes. the picturesque the hidden jewel. Yes. And Aster is like where you go to get to your Target and Walmart yes. and then go Rowan home is to your the... lovely Rowan. Rowan is Meg Ryan's bookstore in You've Got Mail and mm. Aster is Tom Hanks's bookstore. In yes. You've Got Mail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's relatable, right? Like that's still that's a movie people, people like. It's one. a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> a surprisingly good performance uh, by Dave Chappelle, who I don't want to see in anything else anymore. Oh my god, that's right. He's, it's a good performance. I forgot. Is he about like that. Tom Hanks's friend? Or yeah, something? yeah, the okay, funny wow, black okay. friend. <laughs> yep, yep. Anyway, yep. I mean the optics. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. but anyway, so yeah, so the first like few scenes of the book, right, are like. Her on this birthday adventure with Nadia, and she's like, I, I don't like you. I think that read is really good. I, I don't think I clocked it in the moment of just like how much she could have connected with Nadia had she mm-hmm. been an independent person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a little bit of the portrait of where her and Sam are. The thing that the little like snippet that really stood out to me was when she describes the like the sleeping arrangement they've settled on, where they're like because they're still living together for a little bit before the before she moves they like alternate days between the futon mm-hmm. and the real bed and it's like he has set up the futon for her since she was out 
this is again somebody going through a divorce like they it's not something i see represented a lot in various Mm -hmm. media the living arrangements where you have broken up but you still share a space and what do you do and it can be so awkward and strange and uh we had been planning for me to like move into my recording room basically and sleep in there and it just didn't wind up like we split a lot faster than that but the concept of this and the fact that she later thinks about how he dumped her but then wanted her to sleep on the futon and i guess if he's keeping the apartment it feels like it makes sense to him but there is sort of an insult to injury here. Just like, let me have the bed for the couple of weeks before I find my own place, man. God. Yeah. Like it's, it is a long time before I think. So Annie spends a lot of time sort of pining for Sam and like lamenting the the passing of their relationship. I don't like, I didn't get around to actively not liking him until like later when yep. he comes to see her Agreed. and is clearly a, a, a jerk. I'm sure that reads differently to a lot of, to a lot of women, especially who maybe have like recognized some like early danger signs with, mm. <laughs> with Annie and Sam's relationship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like in retrospect, he kind of sucks. <laughs> like at the end of the book makes it textual that he sucks, but there's a lot of like, subtext before that mm-hmm. i think now, that thinking back on now i realize yes he did suck in my in, yeah I, my experience and the futon, it, futon situation is one of those moments yeah my, my read on it as the book was going andrew was similar was that like this is a bad breakup it's a bad crappy breakup yeah i didn't think of either of them as particularly to blame i did like note the fact that like he initiated things and then kind of let her internalize that like she was also part of that decision even though she clearly wasn't but it wasn't a breakup of like malignant behavior or like he wasn't mean to her Mm -hmm. there is the stuff that comes out later of the like whether or not he was like really treating her as a partner in the relationship or what his expectations of her were but that's not part of the first half right that's Mm -hmm. not until she starts actually thinking about it Mm-hmm. So, and you do have that that moment of like, boy, he did start dating somebody else awful fast. That's also he? true. The, the book does not explore whether or not he was already dating that person, which was what I was wondering about. But. I think it's strongly, it's strongly. You, you are left to infer it. I think. Yeah, there's a moment where he's uh, telling her that he's going to the bar, and yeah, he, to he meet says people. with coworkers, and she's mm-hmm. like, "But you never used to do that." And he's like, "Well, I." used to not be able to because i had to be home and there's a real vibe to me of like (laughs) there was a girl that i would have gone and had drinks with and i have a little bit of a flirt going on and now i actually am free to pursue that Mm -hmm. so whether he was like seeing somebody already i think he was interested and that was part of the motivation yeah yeah um and you know there's also a difference in like being a teacher i feel like you have less exposure to other adults for long periods yep, with that correct. type of job so it might be uh-huh. easier for someone i don't even remember what he did for work but it seems like he's around grown-ups and yes you know is able to engage in a little bit of flirtation in a way that annie yeah. didn't seem to have with her job I mean, he can live in a one-bedroom apartment in New York by himself, so probably like finance mm. or something, like yeah. finance adjacent. I really don't. Yeah, I don't think the book ever 
says. I think it just says like it's colleagues not, it's, or work it's or something. Important. And it's probably not interesting. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like even even as late as the like him dating somebody else thing, it's like, okay, there's like plausible deniability here. People grow apart. There's like no good way to break that kind of relationship apart when it's like an asymmetric a, a decade like, long relationship. Apart. Yeah. 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 Like th- there's just, you know, no nobody handles that super gracefully. I'm willing to like cut him a little slack on and the spe- on yeah. his behavior. But yeah. The specific being that like and she says she's like, I don't remember how marriage came up, but he said he's like, I'm not feeling the way I think I should feel about it. Mm-hmm. Which is like both honest, which is a good thing. But the thing that, like, is then a problem through the rest of the book is, like, he's still got a foot in their relationship. Yeah. Um, which is, like, okay, it, it may be understandable that she would still have a foot in their relationship because she didn't necessarily want to end things. But him, he, he needed to have, like, put up a clearer break. Um, yeah, there's really a sense for me, like, in retrospect of him saying, like, I think we really should be friends. I want you in my life. Of... And I'm not even sure if he would have been aware of this, but he's making his escape plan. Like Mm -hmm. he is going to keep her in the wings because he knows she doesn't want to split. And that Mm -hmm. way, if things don't go the way he thought or wanted, he can just summon her back. And, you know, if uh, things had gone differently, that probably would have worked out for him. And it's like what I like is, you know, we're in her head the whole time. So every time she's thinking about him, she's thinking about cute moments they had together lovely banter that they used to I have. like their banter i i think it is like earned mm-hmm. that they have like a rapport and they have a they have a distinct sense of humor like mm-hmm. it it does feel like a thing she would cherish and want to keep in her life mm-hmm. and it makes sense too a lot of what she's feeling when she talks to him is just the like enjoying talking to somebody who knows her so well yeah, and just like shared history yeah yeah and it's like again if you had fostered any actual friendships annie yeah. you wouldn't need just him for that feeling yeah. of familiarity you would have friends you could reach out to and uh you know, there's a couple times where Nadia texts texts her, but she is never the one to initiate that. Nadia always mm-hmm. texts her. She does not put the effort out. Yep. And yet constantly is so upset about how alone she is. But it's like the, the idea of a friendship making her less alone is not considered she doesn't see that as it takes her a really long time yeah it's only a romantic relationship in which she would be not alone Mm -hmm. and uh it it's just it's such a shame because i really really understand it and i'm at a point in my life where i am very happy with where i am but if something were to happen and owen and i were to split up i will tell you what kids not again i'm not doing it i am staying (laughs) single and i am just gonna figure it out because it is a lot of time and energy and if you have Mm -hmm. other shit you feel like doing you know you you've got a short life and there's a short window where you're like able-bodied and cogent enough to get that stuff done. So I really, the the older I get, the more I feel very Sophie-ish. And even though Sophie isn't 
awesome with the way she yeah. handles that stuff. We're going to talk about yeah. Sophie in a Can't second. <laughs> <laughs> but she, I can see what's going on where she's getting so impatient because she sees what's going on. She knows where Annie is stuck. And she's doing that thing that like overbearing parents do where they aren't letting you learn the lesson. They're trying to like make you just do what they want. Instead They've already of learned the lesson you. and they want you on the other side of it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like that's what life is, is watching people you love who haven't gone through things, make the mistake and go through it and just yeah. having to sit back and let them do that. Yeah. Which sucks. And when you like somebody, you don't want them to. And you know it's avoidable. Like, that's the worst part. It's like, it doesn't have to be this way, though. But, yeah. like, it kind of does. It kind of yeah, does some, have to be that you, way. You just got to let people touch the stove burner mm -hmm. sometimes. Like, it's the only way. Yep. Um, so, so we haven't, Sophie, we haven't mentioned yet. So, okay. Yes. Any moves to, any moves to, I keep, I, I keep wanting to call it any name, but the name. Rowan. Is, the Rowan? Town. is it still it's in New Rowan. York or is it's it in not, a different state? It's in upstate New York. I okay. Think. Okay. It's not Stars Hollow. It's not Forks. It's Rowan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she moves up to Rowan. <laughs> And she is kind of like settling in. The, the apartment's furnished. There are a bunch of spiders in it, which she is way chiller about than I would have been. Yeah, I was whatever. thinking that was going to be a bigger problem. <laughs> I and she's just like, oh, geez. Where she, she literally like saves a spider. And I was like, this is like a, a Pixar save the cat moment where like we know a person is a good person because they spare a, a weaker creature. Mm. And she's like, mm, uh -huh. spider, I will save you. Yeah, and then I'm, then the spiders in the rest of the book show. Up and I was like, oh no, it's just a even spider thing. Even if I saved the, even if I saved the first spider, by the time I'm seeing the third, like progressively larger spider, yeah. in the first hour of like moving into a new home, I'm like, all right, what's the how, who's the what's the Terminix number yeah. out here? Like, can I get someone to come out and do something about? Yeah, this? I would definitely be getting in touch with my landlord and just like, hey, we've got a little bit of an issue down <laughs> here. Some spiders. So she is, but she's yeah. So she's she has moved in. She is kind of getting settled. She goes into the liquor store to get a bottle of wine because she's going to start getting white lady drunk every night mm -hmm. because she is because school is hard and, and she doesn't sad have friends. Single. Yeah. Yes. Um, and she meets this woman, this like ageless, beautiful woman who she's instantly drawn to and it's not necessarily uh like romantic or or like a horny thing it's just like i want i i am drawn to this person i want to be around them all the time how can i get to know more about this person and this is sophie mm -hmm. who's the other big like presence in the in the book yeah yeah and sophie is uh she's she's just you know the woman you want to be flawless hair and skin self-possessed dressed to the nines and mm -hmm. for no reason and the reason is because she would like to be period and i want so much to be sophie right now in my life yeah. <laughs> like especially those of you who work from home probably can relate there are days where you're like why dress yeah. But why, why clothes? Why shower? Nobody knows. Who cares? <laughs> and just the sheer effort that she puts, she makes all of her own dresses. We wind up finding out. Yep. And of course, she has the time. So I'm not going to try and compare myself too much. I'm just saying I have a closet of lovely dresses right behind me. And mm -hmm. when is the last time? That I just put one on for being home. For no reason. Yeah. yeah. When is the last yeah. time that I made a full like meal instead of girl dinner 
when I know <laughs> Owen isn't going to be home. You know, <laughs> even like tonight making this cocktail that I made, I almost just poured it into like a double walled stainless steel cup to keep it cold. <laughs> and then I was like, I have these gorgeous crystal goblets. Oh my God, just put it in the pretty thing that you like to look at. Just have a nice time. Yeah. But it's just so, yeah. I'm bent on practicality so often and doing the easiest thing. Also, capitalism kills your soul. So there's yeah, lack so of energy there's in there. outside there's that. of capitalism. Yeah. That, that cup thing is so important. Like you could just pour every drink into the big 64 ounce plastic cup that you got from mm-hmm. the gas station. Yeah. <laughs> Where you've put it through the dishwasher so many times that the gas station logo is starting to fade yeah, off. Yeah, because at that point it. it doesn't even but... remind you any, it's not even a commemorative movie cup anymore. The, <laughs> the dishwasher is taking your Batman and Robin logo away. Like... <laughs> This is but really painting some, a picture. You guys are uh, oh, evocative yeah, yeah, yeah. this evening. I like it. So, some, <laughs> sometimes it's nice to put a drink in the glass where the beer can says, "You should put it in this glass, maybe." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the, we have we have um we, we have like glasses that are meant for IPAs because I don't know why they're meant for India Pale Ales, but they you know they have a, they're like kind of like a tulipy Tulip beer glass, shape. right? Yeah. Um, and Laura, some of this them. I think is is big cup. Yeah, just like trying to make us all buy more cups, cups you know. But <laughs> it's like you know it's, it's like a curvy lady glass, right? <laughs> It's got. I was like thinking a, when you said big cup, immediately my <laughs> mind goes to bras, and I yeah. was just like, I don't, I'm not going to say that. But then curvy ladies came up, and I'm like, maybe big cup is uh, got it was, its finger in it two pies. It's meant to be, yeah. But yeah, so Annie, Annie isn't even at that point in her life, but she's met this impressive, like, you know, make you just stand still and like take her in woman in this liquor store. And now what she's like, meet me at the farmer's market on Saturday. I'm not going to tell you a time Just show up and we'll hang out. We'll have coffee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like you and, do. Uh, she, and she does that. And everybody in town is clearly like very weirdly subservient to this woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very strange. And the, 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 this is the thing. The thing that bothered me about Annie is like part of it is the sad sack stuff. But I think by itself, the sad sack stuff I can I can get because like she's she's earned that from the you know yeah. the relationship she just broke up. She's in she's in a new place. Like there's a lot to be sad sacking about the sort of passivity with which she floats into this relationship with Sophie, who also is frequently like super condescending and terrible to her. Mm. <laughs> that's that's what really bothered me. And And again, like by the end you get around to them being like more, more equal and Annie like asserting herself. But there's this, there's this one section where she, so she's gone over to Sophie's house. It's clear something creepy is going on with Sophie. Like she's, she's some kind of creepo. It's yeah. not clear what immediately, what? but like she's creepy cause she lives in the woods in a big scary castle. Yeah. And she has like next to a graveyard. Like it's, it's meant to evoke. And I do want to shout out a little like thing that um, Harrison does where like Sophie will just, and this is all before you know what Sophie's deal is. There's like mm-hmm. a lot of little notes of Sophie all all of a sudden just has something in her hand. Like all of a sudden she's mm-hmm. just like got the thing she needs. And there's all there's like a always a little blip of Annie being like and then she just manifested a thing. And I'm and in in one reading it's just somebody who's prepared or elegant or smooth mm-hmm. and or it's the spooky reading and of course it's kind of both. But yeah, mm-hmm. you're getting those little drips and drabs of of her having a deal, Andrew. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so Annie goes to her house and gets like her foot mangled by a ghost. Like there are ghosts in this house and there's like bad s- stuff, kind of creepy bad stuff. That's happening. like her second visit to the house. And yeah. It's in the pool. That's gr- it's yeah. A I'm Yeah. She like visits the house. It's clearly haunted. She asks Sophie, are there ghosts in your house? And Sophie's like, no, there's no ghosts in my house. What are you talking about? And like, Sophie has been like just does not answer direct questions about what her deal is Mm -hmm. and but Annie is like Sophie said this place isn't haunted and she's been nothing but honest with me so far so I shake it off must be my imagination and it's at that point where I'm sort of yelling at the characters in the book a little bit like could you just be a tiny bit more aware of your surroundings yep 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 like that that is that is the vibe that frustrates me because she does not really see anything super malevolent in Sophie's behavior again until that very end when she's also like reevaluating her relationship with Sam. And I guess if you got her to that emotional, uh, like turning point, that pivot point faster, the book would just be a lot shorter. <laughs> and guess, maybe that's not, yeah. what, that's not what Harrison or her publisher wanted, but it did seem like it again it took just took too long to get where it was going yeah i think it's supposed to be that she is so desperate for anybody to approve of her and want to be around her that she's willing to overlook a lot yeah and it's just her doing that yet again with sophie and eventually she does put her foot down and the thing that makes sophie smile and be proud of her is her being like don't call me pet because she keeps Mm -hmm. saying that but it like it really is a lot of her. There's a real passivity to Annie in general. And yeah. mm-hmm. that's sort of the whole deal with her is that her personality has depended on her being compliant with whomever it is that's around her. They mm-hmm. are always going to be the one with the power because she has this desperate need to be liked and to be validated and mm-hmm. has a lot harsher of an opinion of herself than the people around her seem to. She She's always looking and thinking like somebody's going to make fun of me for this and that, which is made worse by the fact that she teaches teenagers who are, if you're like Annie in personality, may I recommend literally any other line of work? Because yeah. you <laughs> cannot handle this. That she wound, mm-hmm. And she was teaching in New York. She does. Be, she, at one point she is like, I taught in the city. I can yeah. handle this. She's and real she Brita. can. But it is like wild that she is like, well, let me get in front of teenagers every day because mm-hmm. I clearly yeah. have a lot of self-confidence. And I can <laughs> yeah, just it. let me in- immerse myself in this physical room full of like the equivalent of internet commenters. Where and she, just they can yep. they can criticize all the stuff about me that I hate. Where she is like, <laughs> I my last name is Crane and I know I look like a bird, but let me get in front of teenagers and mm-hmm. it'll be yeah. it'll be fine. Yeah. What what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> yeah, this is the sort of thing like if you're gonna be doing this, you need to come up with some things locked and loaded, ready to like fire you out do. there and handle it because she gets caught real off guard and I'm just gonna put it down to her being rattled in general and not really sure. thinking ahead. But there there does eventually come I want to call it a satisfying moment, but it's so freaky that I'm like, is it? There's a kid who's been mocking her constantly. And when she's talking to Sophie about what assholes these kids are, Sophie says, want me to curse them for you. And at Mm -hmm. the time, Annie is not putting it together that this is a real offer and says, sure. And this kid is doing bird chirps and caws. And suddenly starts choking like he's got a hairball and he coughs up a whole 
spider she describes as the size of a baby's fist, which is a real <laughs> pretty awful. Sure. <laughs> and like it falls, nobody's sure what it is. It just looks black, and then all of a sudden its legs like extend out and it gets mm-hmm. up and it's alive and, and walks, walks away. away. I like the bit where the kids are like, we should kill it. And Annie's like, no. no. <laughs> a kid just puked it up. I did in fifth grade. A kid in my English class, in the middle of reading a chapter from Around the World in 80 Days, during, it was Around the World in 80 Days or or, mm, something about balloons, I don't remember. Anyway, Mm -hmm. he just did what this kid did. It wasn't a spider, but he did just in the (laughs) middle of reading a book, like put his palms down on the desk, push back, and just projectile vomited, and it did break the entire class. <laughs> oh, God, it was unreal. It was so wild to read the scene because I was like, "Harrison, were you there? Are you someone I don't know was in my fifth grade English class?" <laughs> but it is like really awful. And Annie's like, "I don't know. It's pretty bad." I mean, she cleans it up because she's like, "I don't she, want the janitors to do it." There's so much detail it. about her cleaning it up, and, and I just, don't like, roast, really. Like, spit. Yeah. yeah. Why did we? Okay, sure. <laughs> and she feels like obligated to go check up on this kid at the nurses, and I'm just like, why? Like, yeah, he's a honestly, jerk. He's this a bad is why boy. I'm not a teacher. Is because you're a jerk to me. I have stopped caring about you. Yeah, like, this, I'm this good. has some real like trying to avoid legal liability mm. stuff. Yeah, to do it. I think, and this sort of establishes a weird like rep that she gets because everybody puts it down to her. Like she caused this to happen. Eventually she comes into power, but it is not here. And there was a part of me that sort of wondered initially when I was first reading it, if she was making this happen. And then I remembered Sophie and I was like, oh, right. No, it's her doing it. Yeah. I mean, she is. Annie is the one who was like, no, let's not kill the spit spider. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It is a thing. Probably. Yeah. Cast some suspicion on on her. I think think looking back on it later in the book, it does basically say that it was her. Right. Like my experience of reading the book was that it was Sophie. But I don't think I think both here and in the later like restaurant scene, which is super gross, which we can talk about in as much or as little detail as everybody wants to. Yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) It's implied that Sophie is pulling the strings, but Sophie says that she isn't. And I think later in the book, Craig, you're right that it is clear that it was coming from Annie all along. But also Sophie just like lies or doesn't tell the whole truth so often that I am not. I was not immediately inclined to believe nope. her when she said, "Oh, I'm, I don't. I have the spider." Idea what she you're actually straight about. up cops too. Oh, she, does she? Yeah, okay. she she says like that. I can be vindictive, and was it really terrible? And is like asking her about it, and it's clear that the way that Annie is freaked out, she thought she was doing something helpful. And was like, but isn't he a jerk? And Annie's like, I mean, yeah, that does not mean this is what I want. (laughs) So they have more of like, it seems much more clear then that it is Sophie doing it. But then when she keeps saying Sophie at the restaurant scene when she's in the stall, I really thought this isn't her. She's not answering her. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of jumping ahead here. But really, there's a lot of like just small town life getting to know Sophie and lots of amazing meals, amazing hangouts. And I was a little like 
I don't know if you guys, what you were expecting when Sophie first invites her over, what her home was going to be like, but I was really picturing something much more practical magic, Victorian house that's got a kind of cozy vibe. Yep, yep. And instead... Not a palatial... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I... I've been thinking about what she was doing with that. And I think really all it is, is that Rachel Harrison's trying to do this woman does what we would consider too much for one person all the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Everything that she does for herself is something we would do for company, for family, for a gathering of people. And for her, that's not necessary. So I'm thinking this house does not sound like a place I want to live. It doesn't sound inviting. It's too big. It's too echoing and it's too spooky. Mm-hmm. But there's something about who Sophie is and how this house is too much for one person, which makes it exactly right for Sophie. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know? sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the th- and even like late, later after. Well, I don't I. I don't want to get all the way to the end after Annie has like made her her uh, sure. transformation. But mm-hmm. There is a it does suddenly open up a lot of different possibilities for what Annie can be doing, like with her own meal making and her own living situation. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. Anyway, we, the, can, we can come back to the it, thing but. you mentioned about the like the so like, OK, Annie and Sophie start hanging out um, and there's one of their hangouts at Annie's place where Sophie is like, I'm a witch. Be my friend. <laughs> and like spiders are pouring out of her clothes. And Annie's like, that seems cool to me. Let's do this. And yeah, I let's mean, be she, friends. She does say, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck a bunch. But she's also like, cool spider friends. There's, I mean, <laughs> she does say cool spider friends, but there, there are multiple points where she's like, I am just saying yes to like, continue this interaction along because i don't yeah. want to be stuck here <laughs> like, that's true mm-hmm. um yeah. i do think that like it is it's maybe just the way the book is structured or it's the inherent passivity of annie i've been kind of resisting i'll just do it right now kind of reminds me of how some people don't like hamlet because why doesn't he just kill the guy at the beginning of the play it's a whole play about inaction and I do think that maybe this is a play about uh, a book about what it of passive character and how frustrating that can be. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say that Harrison's writing Hamlet, but it's just a reference <laughs> that my brain pulled. Anyway, there's ghosts in that too, like there are ghosts in this book. Anyway, any spiders? Um, uh, I mm, no, but I feel they like reference you can wrap those into reference things a, pretty easily. They reference a, like a snake in the one play or there's like venom that goes in somebody's <laughs> ear it's like a whole thing the the thing you were talking about natasha where like they hang out a bunch they make a bunch of food they watch movies she introduces this woman who is not up on technology to netflix mm-hmm. um there is a moment okay, she loves netflix she, like, does she doesn't like netflix. phones but she is like actually netflix is pretty cool she's like yeah. i don't have a i don't have a like a mobile phone and there is a great moment where Annie's like, yeah, she's like never even handled an iPhone. And it's like there's something I got this from the from the blank check pod where they talk about actors who shouldn't be in period drama because you can see that they've seen an iPhone like in their face. <laughs> <laughs> and Annie's, yep. res- Annie's response to Sophie is that like she has like reverse that like she could never uh-huh. interact with an iPhone. It would be weird. 
Yeah. Like, I just like, I don't get how you live for like hundreds and hundreds of years and you have all that time to fill like to the point where you don't even remember what day your birthday is anymore. And this is the woman who's like introducing you to television for the first time. That is strange. <laughs> like, I think the first thing I would do would just be like, all right, I'm starting at uh, the number one and I'm working my way down to the letter Z. I'm going to watch every single TV show that's ever existed. Yeah. <laughs> I really think that like I uh, there are times where I get like this with like vampire fic as well, where vampires like, you know, they don't want to adopt certain technologies or get to and the, a part of me is just like, what are you kidding me? Of Like, why would you not? And then I remember my difficulties with like figuring out what new music is out there. Uh-huh. And how sure. utterly resistant I am to watching a new show that's been suggested versus just re-watching King of the Hill again. Yeah. <laughs> and I start to be like, okay, I could see actually getting pretty set in your ways. And if that goes on for long enough, it's harder to get out of it, that rut. And just being like, it's passed me by so completely now, it would take way too long to catch up. I've I'm, been alive. I'm not interested. I've been alive I mean, for hundreds of years. It- Tin pan alley rags are the best I can do. <laughs> I mean, it's like how everybody on Star Trek is always listening to like 19th century, yep. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like string music or whatever. But I mean, you never get to this conversation. But in my head canon, maybe Sophie is just like, I don't like that 5G. I've heard bad <laughs> things about it. I think it can I think it could give you cancer and I'm trying to live forever out here. I do not like cell phones. This is uh well, she she says something at one point about how she doesn't own a television, but then she smirks <laughs> and is like, I use a projector. And I kind yeah, of like that because for a second she's like, I'm above all that. And then it's, well, I just the, use different technology for the same like, thing. The, okay. What I was building towards was what was frustrating about Annie is that she never asks like enough for me. I think you said this kind of earlier, Andrew, is like it does does strain credulity a little bit for me that she never asks more questions about Sophie's whole witch deal. Like literally the woman is like making fire dance in front of her and Annie never asked like, how does that work? Or when exactly were you born? Like the right. book is really quick to be like, we made a bunch of pizza and w- watched real housewives. And she thinks it's funny that the Royals are not like violent now. And it's like, okay. And- it's so, it's so extreme in avoiding that, that I was just, I just assumed that Sophie was like, she was under some kind of a spell or something like that. Yeah. There, there's no yeah. way oh, that somebody can be this passive without, being like under some because so many of the the people in the town are responding weirdly to Sophie too and so I'm like she must there must be some kind of other shoe that's going to drop with her relationship to Sophie where the power imbalance like becomes clear to to Annie and suddenly she sees clearly but like no that I mean no. that, that is true but it's all coming from inside Annie instead of outside it's more what Natasha Sophie. was saying of like it's just somebody who wants to be in this friendship so yeah. bad that mm-hmm. she's willing to not she not she doesn't even think to ask which is questions. which is again like a really interesting twist it just takes a little bit too long to 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 get there yeah we have a real habit of like covering books together that need editors like this just happens a lot I'm realizing looking back even in the books where the first third of them is not like all complaining about editors like that Stephen <laughs> King book that we read <laughs> we'll never forget about that but it is sort of yeah it's always hanging around back there huh and it, yeah yeah (laughs) the thing that i also i was like 
I expected this to go in more of a direction and it doesn't, which a part of me is almost grateful for because it could have gotten a lot uglier is the reaction of the townsfolk to the uh, friendship between Annie and Sophie. Mm -hmm. And most of them seem pretty much cool with it, even though they're clearly afraid of Sophie. They're just like, this is the trade off for living in a tiny little secret paradise. And what are you going to do? You know? Yeah. And right. there's the one man who owns the good mug, Oscar. Oscar. Mm-hmm. And he is so bitter because it turns out he was just a like, guy. Just like his coffee. <laughs> He's a coffee <laughs> artist, my friend. <laughs> man is making beautiful lattes. <laughs> but he uh there's a sense of he was a real sam and did not appreciate or help his wife there's a mention where when this gets brought up to sophie she describes her as uh overwhelmed is the word she uses to describe helen oscar's wife who Mm -hmm, ran mm -hmm. off and the division of labor in households is a really unequal thing like traditionally most Mm -hmm. of the time and i don't have children and i'm just gonna put you two gents on the spot right now sure do housework please for the love of god (laughs) oh my lord it is something that was like a big catalyst in my divorce and i didn't have the language for it at the time that like labor expectation especially I was also working full time and yet it was expected that I do a lot more. And I didn't really mm-hmm. stop and like do the calculations and kind of go, what's that about? Yeah. Yeah. And so I just read into the simple line of, she was overwhelmed of Oscar expecting her to carry the household. And then yeah, sure. she vanishes and leaves him with this load of labor that he never really comprehended until she was not there to do it. And so there's a bitterness surrounding him thinking that Sophie did something to her. But I believe that in his heart, he knows she didn't. I think he's perfectly aware. And then eventually it turns out that like Helen resurfaces and gets in contact with her son and is fine. But Oscar never relinquishes that grudge that he holds. And so when Sophie begins to befriend Annie and he starts to see the way that Annie is uh, at one point, she's got a little bit of an attitude with him because he's telling Uh her that she shouldn't hang out with Sophie and she just makes her cup float over to herself. And she eventually overhears him trying to convince everybody else that Sophie is like corrupting her. And I'm like, Uh What is it that you're suggesting exactly, Oscar? Nobody Mm -hmm. asks that question. Like, what do you want to do then? One person says, like, most of them are pretty much, I think Annie's nice. It's fine. One person says, I could deal with the bitch, but not two of them. And again, I'm just like, what? Do you mean, though? (laughs) Yeah, this is uh, you're referencing a a thing that Annie hears later in the book. So this is after she has we should go back and talk about the double date. She goes on. Oh, my God. Yeah. But it's after that, whatever it is, is, after she has had a conversation with Sam on the phone because she also found out that Sam was seeing someone. Um, and so then Sophie gave her some like tea that like wigged her out and basically awoke her magic powers. 
and she's kind of flipping out a little bit and not really sure where she fits into the town. And she hears the townspeople like she likes she oh she goes to go get some more liquor and nobody's there and there's like the the couple of characters we've ever met are like huddled in a house next door. Talking Everybody's about talking them. about her and it's bad, yeah. which is basically the like an anxious person's literal worst, worst nightmare. <laughs> yes. Yep. It's and like, oh, all the voices in my head are right. Actually, everybody is always looking at me and noticing every bad thing that I notice about myself. And, and you're right. This was something that like I saw crop up in a couple of reviews of this book. Um, some of them were three star Goodreads Good reviews. We we added a diff. We added a guitar. Oh, okay. Nice. We, Three star Goodreads reviews. Okay. Where, like where folks did feel like the like whole townspeople plot was co- just kind of just fizzled out. Like mm-hmm. the and I, I I kind of agree with that in the book, just in the sense that like there's enough pages spent kind of establishing this awkward relationship between Sophie and these folks. And the only person that you really get any sense of is with Oscar at the, at the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And like the, the only other version you get is this kind of conversation that's way more centered on Annie than it is on Sophie. So like when you get around to the end of the book, when like things are as good as they're going to get for any of our characters and it's like the townspeople are like, yeah, we got we got a couple witches in town like okay yeah like, like i feel like if you if you wanted to make the book longer and and spend less time sort of going in the same emotional circles with with annie that we have to go into i feel like expanding a little on the townspeople isn't is an easy avenue to go down and and the the so there there was there are a couple of interviews with harrison that i read i think the like here is here is a quote i think is interesting uh, and as I got older, I started to wonder what's wrong with a witch who lives in the woods and is fine being by herself. Why do we assume she eats children? Why do we vilify a woman who just wants to do her own thing? I wanted to explore the archetype of the witch. Why was it created and why is she scary? I almost like like what I wanted. I think I think there is a slightly more interesting version of the book that almost has Annie act as a sort of glue between Sophie, who's like this aloof, sort of vaguely terrorizing figure in the society and the rest of the people who live in the town where like maybe Annie through her, like, you know, her, her outsider's perspective, um, helps everyone else in the town also see, oh, it is, it is fine that Sophie like lives alone and is a witch and like, there's all this stuff about her, like, I think there there's there are more explorations of like the core theme of the book, which is basically that like being alone is okay, I think is, mm-hmm. is the like super high level like blithe summary of it. Um But that's intention with the like what if we engage with like it it's fascinating because I think I wanted the same thing, Andrew, but I think it is intention with well, what if we engaged in like the community story more? Like I I bet Harrison was like, Well, I don't know how to like I don't know how to square this theme with yeah, like, what if I other just, characters think, got involved. I think there's there's just some meat on both like maybe give Annie a relationship or two in the town where that she is explicitly rejecting like to go and, sure. and be with Sophie and, and to do like witchy stuff. Or maybe you just have Annie in there as yeah, I'm going to be a witch and because you all know me in the town. 
like I can I can help you have a better relationship with this wish lady too, and maybe like even restore like Sophie's faith in humanity a little bit. Maybe even yeah. like just I don't know. Like I just I wanted more social ties in this little small community. So and and I and I and I I don't mind where the book ends up. I just I just think when when I was thinking about this takes a long time to say the one thing that it's trying to say. Like it just takes mm-hmm. a long time to get there. What else could we have filled that space with? Like that's my first thought basically. Yeah. It's just like there, there's potential in the rest of the village that is underexplored. I think. I think so question for you, Andrew, you describe okay. Sophie as this terrorizing figure, mm-hmm. but how so? What does she do? Just, everybody seems. It's a good question. Really? She, she does not do anything that we see explicitly on screen. Like it's all these rumors about how she makes like potions out of bones or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it is clear that everybody in town is really afraid of her. So I guess it's more about like the, the townspeople's perceptions of Sophie than what Sophie is actually, actually doing. But they're all very like, if we put a toe wrong with this lady, she's going to like turn us into spiders or make our mouths bleed or whatever. Sure. And there are like, there are interactions with Annie and Sophie, like especially when they have that big like fight at the at the end mm-hmm. where it seems like it has been a really long time since anybody has actually like challenged or disagreed with Sophie on anything. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of her that has a really short fuse about it and like doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think maybe that's what I'm sort of reading into the relationship between the, the townspeople and Sophie. It's not it's not so much anything we see. It's like a combination of stuff we hear and then what we see of like Sophie's personality through Annie, which is that she is often pretty controlling. Like mm-hmm. she often will, she has a short fuse, like she, her emotions will turn on a dime if, if Annie wants to like bring up a guy or like some kind of thing that Sophie like doesn't approve of or doesn't want to talk about. Like it's, it's, it's that stuff I think that I'm thinking of. That's fair. I, I mm-hmm. get what you mean and about inferring because of like, just, I mean, she even says her personality, she can be vengeful sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to point out that it seems like she really, most of what people are basing their opinions of her on are sheer rumor. And like, yeah. it's, I think that's the point as well. The fact that Annie isn't making an effort to like bridge the gap. The reason is because Sophie doesn't care. That's Mm. not like, it's not about them for her. She's living her life the way she wants to live. And even though it's frustrating that everybody has a problem with her and she admits, I don't get it. I'm giving, I'm generous. I do what I, I make this like, tiny little town into this little paradise by creating mm-hmm. really good crops for everybody and turning it and everybody still seems to hate me and there's i think just a letting go of what they think of her and yeah. being like you know i am who i am and i'm not for everybody so there's no like i don't think the attempt at making her connect with them it's not important to her that's part of the point especially when you're dealing with like the characterization of a woman who desperately wants to be liked versus a woman who has she's frustrated by the fact that people don't because she doesn't see why not but also Mm -hmm. she isn't going to change who she is in order and pretend and that you know there's a couple of moments later on 
with Annie where she's thinking about eventually I'm jumping ahead, but we're all over oh, the place. We're, so all, I think over. It's we're fine. all over the place. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> eventually Sam reaches out and is implying that he feels he made a mistake and can he come over? And Sophie has been really controlling. Yeah. This is some Taking red her flag. Phone like, away. I would not like, be friends with yeah. this person, with this yeah. version of this person. Mm-hmm. It's so annoying because like, I really get why Sophie is so frustrated and if I'm in Annie's head and hearing all of this, it's like Sophie, I don't think has a leg to stand on with as frustrated as she gets because you don't have to hear what we have to hear, Sophie. But <laughs> apparently it's bad enough that even she's like, oh, my God, give it a rest, which there does come a point, even with somebody that you love, that you have to be like, look, you are going to have to beat a different drum because this is not healthy. Like find somebody to talk to or whatever. So I get where she's coming from, but. She makes it so that Sophie or that Annie doesn't feel she can talk to her at all about Sam and that Annie is like hiding in her closet to talk to Sam on the phone because Sophie's spying on her, Mm -hmm. which is like so weird and gross. Through Ralph the spider who lives with her now. Adorable little spider. Mm -hmm. So Sam comes over and Annie is sort of realizing throughout this exchange, it starts off pretty awkward. She has an idea of her, of how it's going to go and it's not going that way. And as their interaction continues, she begins to step back and look at all of the things she's done for Sam just in the like 20 minutes he's been in her house that he has Mm -hmm. not offered to help with, has not appreciated, has not said thank you for. And she's starting to realize like, actually, I don't know about this. And then he kisses her. And she's not into it. And she realizes that an earlier version of herself would have gone along anyway, even though she's not enjoying it. And there's a line about, I wonder how many women's lives pass this way, just enduring and getting through. And I think that's the, the fact that people do not like Sophie is almost like that's a major part of what women struggle with is Mm -hmm. simply not trying to be likable and not going along. And eventually Annie, like somebody presents her with a birthday cupcake and she, all she says is I don't want it right now. And she realizes that is huge for her. She never would have like Mm -hmm. turned that down and the enduring this like bad kiss and maybe going along with the sex in the hopes that eventually it would become pleasurable for her was something that she would have done. It's just, it's so true. I can't count the number of times that I went along with a makeout or sex that I was not really feeling because Mm -hmm. I was sort of like, I don't want to hurt his feelings and I like him and maybe it's fine. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a good time. Give him a chance mm-hmm, The give him mm-hmm. a chance, really the kiss of death. And yeah. I like that, that by the end of this, Annie is in a similar place where everybody's kind of scared of her mm-hmm. yeah. and she's just like, well, guess you're scared of me. Which I kind of yeah, like. But <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, and, and I, I think I mentioned this, but I want to make it like crystal clear. I really like where the book ends up. Like once she finally gets to her, I think it is during the scene with Sam, once she finally gets to her like epiphany where she is able to get outside her head a little bit and mm-hmm. observe her relationships kind of 
like neutrally and like evaluate both her relationship with Sophie and yeah. her relationship with. Well, Sam. she has and, like, already like had it. a breaking up on and is going to have to re. Yeah, Kindle yeah. With once Sophie, she is yeah. seeing that with a little more clarity, I absolutely, I, I, I like that a lot. It's, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely just the the length of time it takes to get to that. Yeah, to that agree. Well, and the, and the townspeople say, prop, plot. Props to Harrison. Like, there's nothing you can do to make kissing sound less appealing than just like describing the Ooh. physical mechanics. Oh of yeah. Kissing. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, She's oh, like, no. I felt his wet tongue sliding in and out of my mouth, and <laughs> yeah. I was like, girl, Christ. So like, so so I'll, let me. I have the quote pulled for. When during the fight between Annie and Sophie, this is before uh, Annie sees Sam and like mm-hmm. really comes into her powers and like really punishes him in a physical way with her magic. And <laughs> she all really sorts goes of quite far. I was like, girl. She, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sh- the the quote from Sophie that stood out to me was. I don't smile when I don't feel like smiling. I don't pretend. I'm entirely honest about who I am. Is that my great offense? Or maybe that's maybe it's that I live alone in the woods. And what's more damning, that I live in the seclusion of the trees or that I live alone or that I'm happy about it all, that I've made these choices, that I have these gifts and I embrace them. I'm not ashamed of who I am, of what I am. What is it about a woman in full control of herself that is so utterly frightening? Can you tell me, Annie? And like that, I think, is like the thesis of the book. For sure. Mm-hmm. I do... I think I sh- I I have a little bit of like dissatisfaction with what the where the book lands with them as friends and like the message of just like well you it I don't know if you're pitching this as a story of female friendship I think it doesn't quite land because there is this like you are on it is cool to be on your own and be the empowered version of your solo self but I feel like the relationship between Annie and Sophie has so much like sometimes toxic, sometimes great, sometimes frustrating back and forth that it is a little messy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and also like the whole, like if you, if you do <laughs> go back to Sam, if you do decide that being with a, a guy is something that you really want to do and be like, I don't think you should come back because I don't think I can ever respect you again. Like that, that that's a little, yeah. Yeah. And, and what I think what I, when I'm talking about the the townspeople, Natasha, what I what I think I want is not for Sophie to change her behavior to like better her relationship with them or whatever. I kind of want the town to come to some degree of the understanding that Annie does and that the reader does, which is like, yeah, what's wrong with me? Like living in a house by myself and sure. just doing what I want. Like mm-hmm. like maybe have the have the townspeople become more Welcome understanding. To not not change anything about what Sophie is. Yeah, <laughs> society. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> yeah. Yep. That that's that yeah, that's pretty what because what what you're responding to there I think is what is the most like powerful stuff about the book, which is just like I yeah, I do what I, I want and I don't care what anybody thinks. Period. Like mm-hmm. that's the end of it. And that's pretty cool. And it's like a really powerful place to come from, but it is so hard. Like I've gotten so much better at it and I am still not awesome. And I, it's one of those, uh, stand in the shower, think about, Oh, I should have said, you know, (laughs) still happens so often. Mm -hmm. I just found it. It it was an interesting tension with the themes of the, of female friendship that were running through the book. Like Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, self-sufficiency that the book seemed really interested in 
did like it caused a blow up between between the two of them and yet the like thing that we're leaving on is them potentially initiating another person who is one of Annie's former students mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm just like I would love to know a bit more about what Harrison thinks about like what is their all relationship moving forward because it is really interested in like a witch is this independent woman who can live on her own and like that's kind of the goal and yet they have these connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could even, if, if, if again, thinking of other avenues that could have been explored, like explore Helen Oscar's like ex-wife as an example of a woman who like Sophie helped liberate from a crappy relationship, but who then mm-hmm. instead of just becoming sort of a mirror of Sophie and doing all the stuff that Sophie did, like going off and doing her own thing yep, and finding yep. some kind of empowerment that way, you know, like alternate paths toward the same sort of of goal you know mm-hmm. sure i kind of wish we had gotten to see some of helen that she wasn't yeah. just yeah, gone and sure. that there was like a presence there where she came into herself and understood the way that she was letting her the life be sucked out of her but she didn't she wasn't a witch it wasn't because of that i mean there's a moment where sophie says that she was drawn to annie because she sensed that annie was like her so that's like you know textual that there's something she could see there but the idea of just like women it's like i don't even know i understand what you're saying craig about like the self-sufficiency i'm i feel like it's less the self-sufficiency is definitely a thing because she talks a lot about just finding validation within yourself yeah for sure but she also like is very much wanting this relationship with Annie to work and is so worried a couple of times mm-hmm. that yeah. she has freaked her out and that she's not going to want to come over anymore. And that's part of what she like lies about there being ghosts in the house because she doesn't want to overload Annie with too much reality right away. She's like, <laughs> I just revealed I'm a witch and I don't think I should add that there are ghosts also. And you know, we well, know like the tragic that, story of those ghosts, right? Or like those are people that she has like dealt with and now they haunt her. Like mm-hmm. that's like the whole thing is like they can't she puts them in the basement because they have to be around because she had to like either kill them or deal with them or whatever because they threatened her. And that's like kind of but she like all, a, I mean, she also says, I just don't want to let them go. Like I want I don't want the, to let them rest. Like there, there is an element of, sure. of like a, a mutual sort of haunting <laughs> that is going on. I kind of love that. Just yeah, being yeah, like, I, I mean, I could, it would be less of a headache for me, honestly, if I just let them, but that's not happening. Fuck I mean, them. and then these ghosts are the people who like actually threw her down a well to die and true, are not true, just true, like true. And being her crappy sisters to her, and being, being like crappy to her at the coffee shop, which is the, yeah. the worst anybody in the current town does to her. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that it's also a, um, what if looking toward other women just for the community and not needing them to uh, live point. with you not yeah. needing yeah. them to be part of your everyday life you can take them on days you want them and also be perfectly at peace by yourself and learning that balance because do we Annie think just that, had no friends at all do mm-hmm. we think that sophie well i guess what i don't get is that i don't know if sophie learns that lesson here because i do think that sophie needs to learn that a little bit 
Like I, I it, in the way that she is so domineering of Annie in the middle of the book, in a way that mm-hmm. I think Harrison is like, this is a flawed person who is also working through stuff mm-hmm. in this relationship. Yeah. I think we're meant to get a hint of that with the like, don't call me pet interaction. And she's like, but, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're point, you're right point. that there's there's no like full. Reckoning, We're just like, I don't it's okay. Yeah. The author doesn't need to give me everything. That's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I just see so much. There was a time where I uh, was, I had just turned 30, just initiated my divorce, and I got like a real one of those like quick, easy, tied me over kind of jobs at the sandwich place. And I was a supervisor, and all the people working there were women, but they were all at least 10 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I, it was one of those like incredibly infuriating moments where you keep seeing girls dealing with complete douchebag assholes and making all (laughs) these excuses for them and Mm -hmm. making it like sound like they're demanding too much by just expecting to be treated well. And Mm -hmm. you just want to slap and shake them. And you like, I really felt for Sophie in that she is domineering. She's way too mm-hmm. controlling. She is she is pushing this friend away and flat out is like, don't come back. You if you make your choice, that's it forever. Yeah. Which she acknowledges later was like unfair. Uncool. But when you've like grown and you can see so clearly how much a person is allowing themselves to be mistreated. It's so hard sometimes to hold on to your empathy and remember that you used to be there too and that you Mm -hmm. used to allow. And it's almost like you slip into a victim blaming thing where it's like you're letting this happen. Do you not see it? But they aren't seeing it because they've been taught this is what's to be expected in relationships. And this is normal. I mean, there's like, you know, decades of toxic examples in movies and television of relationships that we pretended were like gold standard for romance that are full of just terrible precedents for things now Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I, I really, I just felt for Sophie a lot more on the read through of just being like, man, keeping your mouth shut is (laughs) what a good friend would do. But it's when you are, hearing it over and over oh what sam would be like this this is how sam would react me and sam used to do you just want to be like low-key nobody gives a shit (laughs) sam no longer even gives a shit can you just let it go so i just it's like sophie gives way to all of the worst impulses Mm. that you have when you're an older person hearing a younger person it's like a she's a that's a fair overbearing parent you know yeah so as we maybe come to roost on this conversation, one thing we haven't really talked about that much is how is whether or not this book is like spooky. And I mentioned cozy horror up top. So I, I think we, we've talked about wanting to talk about the the double date. So Andrew, oh my God, can we you keep just, saying we're going to do that. And then well, I, I think this is like a good instructive moment to get at like what is and isn't spooky about this book, um, because as we said, like it was kind of marketed as this horror thriller. I think it's actually way more interesting as like a growing up story for a woman in her, you know, who just turned 30 more than it is a like what if witches did stuff in a small town. <laughs> so, Andrew, like what? Just give us a high level summary of the double date that Annie goes on and how it ends. 
So there's another, there's another, uh, before I do the thing that you just literally just asked me to yeah, do, there's fine. another quote from that big thrill interview that oh, please. gets, gets to the, the book's take on spookiness and like Harrison's take on okay. spookiness. Uh, she says, because I'm someone who has an anxious personality, dread is really what gets me and makes me feel afraid. Louder slasher horror, that stuff scares me to- too, but it doesn't get under my skin the way dread does. I think there's some pretty powerful moments of dread in Cackle, and I did want to build a sense of dread and have readers not know where it's going. For anybody who's a type A planner like me, not knowing where something ends up is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and I think when I you get that. to the, yeah, when you get to the horror of the book, a lot of it is, so, and this is where the, the books like sort of beating around the bush works for it, I think is like, yeah, it's clear something is up with Sophie. It's clear that like something creepy is going to happen to these kids who are terrified to terrorizing Annie. It's clear that this like double date is going to end up some way. And part of the horror of it, such as it is, is just like. When are we going to get there? What's going to happen? Oh, yeah. I can't mm-hmm. can't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they go to a the uh one of the I think it's like one of the administrators. It's the vice the principal school. of the school whom she meets when she's checking up on the kid who puked up the spider. Yes. And uh, so she says, "Hey, do you want to come with me and my normie husband to this normiest like <laughs> this like German beer bar, like Applebee's thing in town. And you can meet this guy who is my husband's friend or whatever. And I think you'll really hit it off. Like, why don't, why don't I play matchmaker for you? And so they go and it's immediately clear that nobody's going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And it's also clear that I think I don't remember. I remember Jill being the name of the administrator. Yep. I don't remember the name of her husband. Dan. Tom or Dan. Dan. It's like some short man. He name, has great you know? views. of He has great views of Home Depot and dim views of women. That is how we understand Dan. And the date Listen, is Pascal. Got, yeah. yeah. I just feel like the ideal archetype of masculinity for me is somebody who has good views of women and good views of Home Depot. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how I try to live my life. <laughs> Uh, but uh, he is just making every little passive aggressive and increasingly like aggressive aggressive comment about what Annie is eating and how she looks and how she's behaving and how she's treating their friend and Annie just gets like fed up with it and then and then what happens somebody (laughs) I just want to mention that I know it's like Part of the thing is how controlling it is to be like, you're really getting a chicken Caesar salad at this like beer garden restaurant. But I mm-hmm. was also sort of like, really, Annie, that's what you're getting because yeah. it's just not, don't, not here. Like, you're just setting no. yourself up for a bad salad. You have to know that, which it is. And that's sort yeah. of her own fault. But yeah, the worst food poisoning I ever got is a Pizza Hut salad that I decided oh I was going to eat at a work thing because I wanted to be like a good, healthy boy. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes health doesn't pay it's just you know places have their strengths and you've got to acknowledge that and go with it yeah so and and she's like just get salad dan it's i kept thinking that it was pascal who was like making comments but the fact that it's jill's husband and she keeps giggling and sort of egging him on in a way for real I love that detail because Jill is so many women that he even mentions how he used to date her friend, but then he like traded up he for leveled a better up or model. Whatever, yeah. And I like Annie is in the middle of drinking and sort of like gasps in horror and chokes on her drink before she realizes 
Jill's laughing and thinks it's mm-hmm. really cute and is yeah. like, okay, I guess I'm the only one who thought that was horrifically offensive. And there is nothing like this, especially like if you are in an echo chamber, which I am, and I will never apologize for in my life of <laughs> great people who have like views that you can agree with on things. When you suddenly get exposed to folks who are not in that place at all, and they genuinely think something is cute that you think is a low key horror show. Mm-hmm. I really love the detail that Jill is almost like there's a sort of reprimand in her voice when she's talking to Annie And like, why aren't you carrying this conversation? Why aren't you contributing more of yourself? And it's like, well, because this other dude is making zero effort at all. Why does she have to do everything? It was kind of amazing that no shoe dropped with Pascal. Like, literally, he is a Mm non-entity. And and the the book has a a dim view of men, which is, you know, I don't think any of the men in this book are tr- are like particularly treated unfairly they seem you know mostly pretty bad um and past it's like it's interesting the different types of bad guys that she trots out and one of them is the pascal who is like i don't know mm-hmm. i don't i don't like this lady i maybe if she wants to sleep with me i guess we'll talk about it later <laughs> but like I'm just, <laughs> I'm just here to drink a whiskey and like watch this guy that i'm friends with be a jerk to her i believe annie describes pascal's uh personality later as a ventriloquist dummy without the ventriloquist yeah yeah it's very evocative like there there are little analogies here and there that harrison throws in that i think are really well done and i haven't done a lot of dating myself but i hear from a lot of women that it's a real litmus test to see how many questions a man asks you about yourself versus Mm -hmm. how much he just talks about himself and he that's like part of the thing he doesn't stand to introduce himself when she arrives at the restaurant he doesn't ask her anything it's the same as sam with putting no effort in of his own expecting her to do everything and then dan is a really good example of no matter what you do as a woman it's wrong so Mm. you know if she were fat he would probably be making comments on what she ordered but she's too skinny so he's making comments on what she orders in that direction even insinuating that she's going to go barf it up you know, just on oh, nothing, yeah. but the fact that yeah. she's very thin and yeah. it, it's just like progressively every the fact that she isn't playing nice the way he thinks she should throughout the night. It's see, it seems like to be really getting to him and making him grow more and more aggressive for yeah. no reason. It's just simply that she's not engaging and being cute like his wife. Yeah. And just. It doesn't take very much to suddenly have people up in their feelings and their opinions about you. They will literally assume anything with no Mm -hmm. information because that's just what they do in their free time. It's just create stories about you. Um, But yeah, eventually... So she goes to the bathroom to get away. I get so frustrated (laughs) with like the exact type of guy he is. Like the the guy wearing the no fat chick shirt. That's like, I like a girl who can eat. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Ugh. But anyway, we're going to get to the, the bones. We're going to get down to the bones of the, of so, the matter. So now, she goes to the bathroom. She sees some writing in the stall. Typical. And then she sees some writing in the wall. That's kind of magical. She assumes it's Sophie. I think we th- find out later that like that may or may not be true. Sophie doesn't seem to really know what, what any of this was. Mm-mm. It's just like her power calling to her, basically. I love it. The The note says, this is your night. Take it back. Give them hell. 
<laughs> and she and goes very literal. He goes back <laughs> and he starts puking up bones out of his mouth. Yeah. Initially, it's like there's just a bone in his sausage and he's just sort of like, that's weird. And then they start to get like bigger and like they shouldn't fit inside his mouth. Yeah. And then he starts like bleeding from his mouth. And Annie is just losing her shit laughing, which is (laughs) that was the creepiest part to me is like, I understand wanting to get back at somebody who has been a total dick to you all night. But I draw the line at laughing at them bleeding at the table. Like, I feel like once you've got blood pouring out of somebody's mouth, I'm satisfied. I don't need any more. And that she's like chortling to the point that other tables are going quiet and turning and looking at her like, what's happening? And of course, Jill does the I need to speak to a manager bit. Um, Uh The whole thing is just so incredibly uncomfortable. And there was such a sense of satisfaction, though. I really like Dan is so awful. How do we yeah, all I mean, feel? I've seen the, the book described as like a, there, there are elements of like revenge fantasy to it. Mm-hmm. And it's, there, that is like a big, like this, this scene is the one big thing. And then the thing with Sam where he's like laying on the floor, like bleeding out of his eyes mm-hmm. is like, yeah, yeah. You, some guy can dump you and you don't have to be sad about it. You can just go move to upstate New York and be a cool witch who terrifies everybody. Yep. <laughs> like that, this, this too can, can happen to you. But anyway, Craig, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say like, how did we as a group kind of just feel about the, the quality of the writing in these sections, the quality of the, you know, or the gore, whatever you want to call it, because like, I do think I read some, like I read an article in the Mary Sue about like, uh, cozy horror stuff. And just like another article on, uh, nightmare-magazine.com that name checked like goosebumps as a, as a, as a like touchstone for horror that you can like feel good while you're reading and engaging with and it's mostly playing in the aesthetics of that genre and it's not this like endurance test of how much scary you can take Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. more about like i don't know you can live in it you can have a latte and then a man can puke bones like i don't know how do we all kind of respond to that whole vibe I think that was what I really liked about the book is that it does go from like wildly comfy, like food porn, and then goes to this terrible man is getting like she's wreaking havoc on him. And I was like, honestly, this is where I want to live, where bad men have bad things happen and I eat pie. Sounds good. (laughs) That's all I want. Yeah, I think I think that stuff that that stuff will stick with me about this book and also just the the way you expect this book to go is Normie Annie moves to this town. She gets involved with this witch lady and eventually she realizes the witch lady is a witch lady and is like, I'm just a normal person. I need to escape from this horror that's been opposed, uh, imposed upon me. And that, mm-hmm. that's happened in like, Plenty of other books. Uh, like yeah. like Mex- Mexican Gothic's the one for our show that I always go back to. Like the, a book that just lives in my head literally all the time. Is like, yeah. yeah, she she it, it's the the arc that the this kind of story usually follows. As you re- you some you move somewhere, it's a little unsettling. You uncover what the core unsettling horror is, and then you either die or you like escape to to live another day. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like the most about this is that it ends with with Annie being like, Yeah, I'm gonna like give into the to 
you know, the quote horror of the situation. I'm just going to become, I'm going to become a monster and it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 I will say too, that it's funny because the thing that creeped me out the most while reading is not something that either of you has mentioned. And it's sort of like, probably because it's a little rooted in reality, but the part mm-hmm. that I got the most spooked reading is when she first arrives at the apartment and she hears somebody and goes oh, that outside. Part sucks. Yeah. That part blows. I really oh, got so freaked out. And I was sort of like expecting more of that kind of like, is there someone in my house kind mm-hmm. of energy? Mm-hmm. And that's only that's like almost the only time it happens. There's a sense of Sophie watching her, but it never feels like she is there. And yeah. that part, especially there's like a, a description of the outside stairs turning a corner. And yep. really feeling like she sees a shadow that does not match up with her shadow. And mm-hmm. I was just like f- really freaked out because I was also listening the first time alone in my house at night. Not recommended. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that she does a really good job as a writer of building dread. I just think that mm-hmm. there are times where the like you can cut things and make it more tight. And that builds the tension a little bit more yeah you know I, th- I think it's like it's if you read all the interviews that that harrison has done around this it's clear that like there's a lot of her in annie mm-hmm. and so it's po- like i i don't i don't About know like what female my friendships is. throughout her life and stuff yeah yeah well yeah, yeah. Not, not just female friendships throughout her life but like she is anxious and annie is anxious and it just it sounds like being in annie's head during the like the deepest uh, like the the pits of self doubt that mm. Annie digs okay. herself down into, like it sounds like it's maybe a lot like what it's like to be in Harrison's head when she is having those like similar feelings. So may- maybe it was just like difficult to cut that stuff because it felt like more personal to her or something. Mm. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't want to like. I I don't want to um to what's the, what's the like word? Diagnose. I don't, don't want to cast aspersions yeah, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> like that's that's a possible explanation, I guess. Well, yeah. I hope that it otherwise is like pretty tight and interesting like to have this be the the part about it that's not interesting like just maybe that's one explanation the the fun thing i think about the horror in the book and so like one of the things i got from that mary sue article um which is trying to remember um instead of arguing about this horror genre why not curl up and enjoy it um talks about it like when you have horror you can have all the spooky elements but if you know for example you're going to have a happy ending or low stakes or even if the stakes are big it's surrounded by humor or love interest or things that kind of negate those big stakes like that is kind of the appeal of this type of book so you get a thing where she makes a man unbeknownst to her own self puke bones out of his face and like bleed all over the place and then she dances on her car in front of her house and sings a song and when you hate someone you meet, they will get a tasty treat. Bones on their tongue and in their cheeks. Bones to make them hush and make them bleed. Bones are the escape you need. You can sing and dance alone, all thanks to the bones. And you're like, <laughs> she wrote a funny little bone song for her main character to sing after she made a man's puke bones. Craig, those are the words <laughs> to the theme song for the show Bones. Oh I don't know. Oh, you really? I've no, only ever not. heard the instrumental. No. No, the Bones theme song is just an instrumental. I'm just goofing with you. What if you did sing the Bones theme song t- with these words, though? That would be. That would I be feel like weird. you'd be casting that would a be spell. A weird, a weird. There's no Patreon tier high enough for me to do sure, that. Sure, fair enough. <laughs> but, yeah, this book is like it's fun. Like the book mm-hmm. is like interested in having fun. Some of it is in the cozy town interactions. Some of it is in the Bones stuff, and. 
it creates a space where you don't have to be as scared of the witchy stuff because that's not really what it's into. Yeah. yeah. Some of the horror is simply that she seems to be subsisting on solely tortilla chips and scrambled eggs and, at the beginning liquor. of the story. <laughs> yeah. Some Oof. of the contents of her uh, her grocery carts, I, it was genuinely me going, oh, girl. Oh, oh yeah, honey. You got to treat yourself better than this. <laughs> it's not even girl dinner. It's, it's not, not even. Uh, well, Natasha, thanks for bringing us this book. Yeah, thank you guys for reading it. it. Yeah. Just want to spread it around. If you're home alone, go make yourself a full roast chicken and have a <laughs> bottle of wine and cook a chocolate fudge cake just for you. And yeah, do eat it. an entire chocolate cake like in the movie Matilda yeah. or the book Matilda. Well, hopefully yeah. not like that, but, you know, like like that a little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wearing a boa the cake, the or cake, something. The same cake, but not the same situation. Exactly. Unless you're into that. Anyway. <laughs> I'm painting a picture and Andrew had to come and puke <laughs> chocolate sorry. cake all over it. <laughs> I won't talk anymore. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, Appreciate it. This was really fun. This was really fun. That was a HeadGum Podcast.